You're listening to Kitchen Table Finance. Join Dave Shotwell and Nick Nauta as they cut through the complexity of financial planning and serve bites of investment advice that are both personal and practical. Hey, Dave, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Nick. How are you? Fantastic. It is a beautiful October fall day, and we've got an exciting podcast. What a difference a couple hundred miles makes, because I just came in from sleep. Oh, no. I heard that uh, first snow of the year in Michigan happened in the uh, Upper Peninsula last night. Yeah. Right now, it's, it's big flakes hitting the ground, but they're melting right away. So oh, there you go. So, hey, we've got that. Good time to get out of town, right? That's right. Let's get out of here. So um, today's episode, Dave, is all about market timing. And is market timing an investment strategy and does it work? Funny thing, when the markets are as ugly as they've been, and there's no nicer way to put it, uh, we get that question a lot. And it's usually some form of, shouldn't we just pull our money out and wait until it's, till, till, quote, things are better to put our money right. back in? And, and, you know, the, too long didn't read version of all of this is you're never going to know when the right time to put it back in is going to be. Yeah, that's the the hardest part, right? It's easy to get out when things are bad, but it's extremely difficult. Nobody's ever been able to consistently get it right of figuring out where the bottom is and when do I get back in. So let's let's unpack that a little bit. You know, the the first thing kind of where we start thinking about this is the premise we've talked about before that the markets are efficient. And when geeks like us say the markets are efficient, what we really are saying is that the markets move based on the current news almost instantaneously. And the current level of the market, whether you feel it's good, bad, or indifferent, is based is basically the average of everybody's expectations based on every bit of public knowledge about the economy or a particular company that makes up the stock market. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you think of the you think of how this has even advanced over the last you know ten twenty years when it comes to information. I'm sure there was a time before the internet where uh, information was maybe a little bit slower, but I mean, the the speed at which information moves now is remarkable. So if you look at the market and say, well, you know, let's get out until things get better, the market is already pricing in everything we know. And you're you're essentially saying either everybody else has it wrong or, you know, well, that that's essentially what you're saying, that that everybody else has it wrong and you're going to you're going to get out now because it may get worse and it may get better. Um when when the news comes out, the market will move one way or another, but it's just speculation until then. So so that's that's kind of the first thing. And then also kind of what goes with that is when we look backwards at what's happened, it all seems logical, right? That the market the market fell because of these certain factors and it's so obvious. But if it was obvious, well, the, the brain wants to put patterns there and superimpose this um, logic to what's happened in the past that, that just doesn't really exist when it comes to looking forward. 
Well, and it, you know, I think a hard part too, Dave, is, is this, you know, I kind of think back to the big short, which is the Michael Lewis book that came out and the, the movie that corresponded with it. And there was a couple people that figured out what was going on with subprime mortgages and had information that nobody else did. But even then, it wasn't like an easy stretch for them because, you know, essentially the market just ignored it for so long that they almost weren't able to, you know, they almost lost belief in themselves. But here's the situation where these really bright people figured one piece of what was going on out. I don't even think they knew the multitude of the ripple effect of that. But you see movies like that, you read books like that, and you think to yourself, well, it can be done. There are people that have done it in the past. And the reality is even they weren't right most of the time. They just happened to be right in the end. There are, there are hedge fund managers just like the, the characters in The Big Short running around every day trying to find the next thing like that. And most of the time, they're making big bets that don't pay off. And we never hear right. Right. Yeah. Well, then there's the the, the famous uh, Warren Buffett study where he he took the S and P 500 over all of the uh, hedge fund managers combined. Right. <laughs> there's there's a lot of there's a lot of examples like that we can go back through, and we have this we have this habit as an industry too of um, deifying somebody that makes a good call like that, and then forgetting about all the times they were wrong and. Um, that would make an interesting little little uh, podcast or blog study because I can think of a few examples right off the top of my head, but I don't want to, um, you know, my my pension for oh, quote yeah. without looking them up first. So, so we'll we'll save that and do a little research. But I, I can yeah. We've had lots of conversations about the news and the news media. You know, yeah. I'm sure there's a bunch of people and there's a bunch of people right now about getting out of the market. But yeah. you know, they get put on TV to make bold, outrageous predictions, not to say, you know, nobody's gonna nobody wants to listen to 17 people say, Hey, you should just, right. you know, continue, keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> they want well, a sensationalized thing because otherwise people are gonna tune it out. You know, the, the, the thing that comes to mind when I watch TV and those shows like that is um, the, old, the old joke about even a stop clock being twice right a day. All right, uh, twice right a day. Right twice a day. <laughs> Tie your tongue. Um, you know, eventually, if, they, if you make enough, uh, and we've, we've talked about expectations and predictions before, but, you know, if you make enough of them, you're going to be right eventually. So oh, absolutely. Yeah, anyway, my favorite wholesaler lines. If you're going to make bold predictions, make a lot of them. <laughs> right, right, right. So, so that's kind of point number one is there, there's never, there's never going to be this like easy, um, you know, inside edge to what's happening. Cause everybody else is going to be doing the same things that you are, uh, and reacting to the news. The second thing, the second point we'd make on this is, you know, not only do you have to decide when to get out, you have to know when to get back in. And that's right. often tougher, as you alluded to in the intro there. You know, it's, it's easy to look at what's going on and say, ah, forget it. I just want to sit this out. Right. But at some point, you should get your market money back to work. And the time to do it is going to be the time that everything feels the worst. Right. Um, our, our friends at Clearnomics that put together nice charts for us did a did a, a research project where they looked at the effects of jumping out of the market every time whenever there was a minus 2% pullback. So if the market dropped 2%, 
You said, okay, I'm going to wait till things get better. And you tried to get back in at different times. Just what they did is they looked at if at comparing if you stayed fully invested in the S&P 500 over the last 25 years, you'd be at about, if you invested $1,000, you'd be at about 3,471 as of when this was published a month ago. If you just set out a week, if you took your money out and tried to get right back in a week later, that gets cut almost in half to $1,818. And if you waited two weeks, it's a little worse, $1,470. And you know, they take this out to like if you waited a year, you said, okay, 2% downside, I'm out. I'll wait till things get better. And you waited a year to get back in your return on that money would have been $1,359 as opposed to the 3,471 for just staying invested. Wow. So um, the moral of the story is usually big downside moves are followed by big upside moves and you're never going to know when things are going to switch. So there's no magical uh, all clear whistle to get back in the market. Yeah, you know, and I think it's just so true. It's like sometimes people forget not only do you have to get it right on the timing of getting out, but also getting back in. So now you've got two different decisions to make that you have to basically bet against the market to get right in order to be better off versus the alternative, which is don't make either of those decisions and just ride it out. Right. And then you know, ultimately you'll be right. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually, (laughs) you know, we looked at this, the same concept in depth a couple of weeks ago uh, when we talked about investing during a down market. And if you look at, look back at that and look at the article and charts that go with it, you'll see that that money being invested during a down market is some of the most profitable money you can invest and this, you know, the flip side of that is getting out when things are lousy is one of the most expensive things you can do. Right. So, so that's, that's point number two. Point number three, you know, there's, there's a lot of different strategies out there that, that purport to be able to time the market. Most of them are some variation of a momentum uh, read on the market. If the market starts to go down, Usually it has some momentum, continues in one direction for a while, and it, it's, it's, it's usually the attempt to find some kind of indicator of when things are going to start to, when things are going to continue to slide and then when it's safe to get back in. And examples usually, like, like a common one, is looking at when the 50-day moving average, stock market average, crosses like the 200-day moving average. So 200-day being a long-term average and 50-day being short. When it's short-term is, is dropping faster than the long-term, that means get out of the market. And when it crosses back the other day, it's safe to get back. Mm-hmm. There's lots of variations of this. It's really hard to analyze them. And people that are proponents of those strategies can always find examples and timeframes and different indices or different stocks where different strategies work whether it's the 30-day moving average crossing the 100-day or the 50 crossing the 200 or, you know, or cup and saucer chart formations. You can always find these things that work sometimes. And the people that don't believe in them can always point to counterexamples, and there's plenty of those. So um, some folks over at the uh, Seeking Alpha blog actually tested like 10 of these strategies in one study 
And they're actually like the, the guy that wrote the article is actually kind of a proponent of market timing. Uh, Emmanuel, Emmanuel Moreau, he's, he's French, um, has the equivalent of a CFA in France, whatever that designation is. But really what he found is, is some of these strategies work better than others. None of them worked all the time. And yeah. long, the long and short of it is most of them reduced volatility. You missed some of the downside, mm-hmm. but your overall return compared to buy and hold was always worse. Like the best right. example he gave was like still 1% below on an annualized basis, just buying the market and holding. So what right. does that tell you? That yes, you can make yourself in, in, in kind of like the fourth point of all this kind of skipping ahead is, is, is all these things make you feel better perhaps. Mm-hmm. Hey, you're not, you're not being silly and just watching your account go down. But if it costs you money in the long run, is it really worth it? Right. So, so who's the better investor? The person that jumps out and jumps back in, but whose overall return is 7% versus a person that stays in the market, watches their account value drop 30% in a brutal bear market, but ignores it and over time averages 8%. Right. Who's, which, which one of those is better? And the, the funny thing is, and you know this from working with clients, a lot of people, if they were making, if they were in and out of the market like that and still showing positive returns, would probably feel better about it, but they'd right. be worse off, but they wouldn't, they, but they wouldn't have had that emotional, like gut wrenching, um, downside feeling. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, so the question then becomes, are you better off to be better off or are you better off to feel better off? (laughs) (laughs) You know, and and that's an interesting thing from a financial planner's point of view, because, you know, the way we look at it, we want you to, we want our clients to take as much risk as they're comfortable with Mm -hmm. and that they need to take to make their goals work. But we always have a view towards if we take too much risk, the biggest risk for us is them jumping out when things are bad. Right. Right. And so it's like a balancing act between feeling okay or, you know, and, and actually being better off. And we spend a lot of time on that with clients because it's a, it's a tricky thing. Yeah. You know, lots of interesting things to kind of unpack there, Dave. One thing that comes to mind for me is this, you know, as humans and especially as Americans, we just have a hard time with not doing anything, right? Like I think we've been predisposed to if something happens, you have to work harder or you have to do something different or and in the market and investing, a lot nine times out of ten, the best thing that you can do for your portfolio when things aren't going well is nothing. Right. Right. Yeah, for sure. And uh or the thing to do is the opposite of the thing that feels intuitive. You know, that, which is even worse. But, you know, the, the thing to do in a down market is to, you know, dig through your couch cushions and find every loss right. you can and buy stock. Yeah. Yeah. What Make feels it worse right. because eventually it'll be better. Right. <laughs> right. But what feels what, what feels right is to sell what you have and go high. Yeah. And, you know, the, the human brain 
evolved, uh, you know, to run away from things that feel oh, yeah. dangerous. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if you're walking across the, the forest and you see a forest fire, you turn and go in the other direction. Right. Right. Dangerous yeah. animal. You turn, you, you get away from the bear or the mountain lion or whatever might, might chase you. And, you know, with markets, it's the exact opposite. You run, you've got to run towards the, the thing that yeah. makes you uneasy. And, yeah. and we don't like Very that. True. That's the best thing to do. Much, much easier to, to uh, talk about than it is to experience and live through for sure. So um, another thing that I wanted to bring up too, that's interesting is this is especially the time when we see a lot of these strategies come to light and kind of get sold because now's the time where people are looking for other things. And here comes this technical analysis that has some pretty good information, you know, has some pretty good track record of how they've done in the past and are kind of selling you to their way of thinking. And, and kind of the fallacy of that is a lot of these strategies are put together after the fact. So after 2008, you know, in 2010, 2011, a lot of these strategies came to light because by looking backwards, we, we knew exactly what not to invest in and, and we could build a model around how to get through that time frame after it happened, right? The problem is none of those things are good at working through the next problem or the future problem or the future downturn of the market. But they get sold to you as kind of this solution because it worked before and that's not necessarily how it works or will, how it will work in the future. Taking that a step further, if I had... If I had the secret formula for market timing, would I be selling it for $50 a month on an online newsletter? Right. You know, <laughs> I think it would be a little more valuable than the few people I could get to sign up to buy it from me. Um, and taking that a step further, the more people that know, if, if there was this secret formula that worked, the more people that do it, the less effective it becomes. That's that's a function of how the markets work. Um, if if you have a strategy that tells you when to get out of the markets, and every which means you're selling, and if everybody else starts to catch on to that, so everybody is selling on the same signal that you are, you're all going to get worse prices. Right, we're all selling at once, so the markets the market's going to drop because you think the market's going to drop, and then. You know, when you, when you get that magic buyback in signal, you're purchasing stock, which pushes the price up. If everybody else is acting on that same signal, it's going to push the price up too. And all of a sudden your returns are even worse and your cost of sitting out of the market then becomes worse. So if that thing exists, you better keep it a secret. Right. Exactly. (laughs) So, um, that's, uh, you know, that, that's a, often overlooked in these newspaper or uh, newsletter sales pitches. But anyway, um, you know, the main thing is any strategy that purports to limit your downside risk potentially costs you on the upside. I'm not going to say always costs you on the upside. You may guess right, but that is really what it boils down to is guessing that the market is wrong and you are right. And you may get that right sometimes and wrong other times. And most people over their lifetime of trying to do those things are going to end up costing themselves more than, than what they gain. 
Yeah, so uh, kind of our fourth point here is part of what we talked about here, Dave, and that is, you know, if getting out and reducing some of the downside and the flip side is you're not necessarily getting as much as the upside, but you might feel better because of that, even though you're in Mm -hmm. maybe not the best, you know, maybe you're not in a better situation as leaving it, but it's that feeling, right? And that's the, the, the motions of money and investing are so strong. Some people, most people are you know, so much more afraid of losing money than they are of missing out on making money. That's why strategies like this, a lot of times in in timing the market in general is really appealing to people. I remember a colleague joking. Well, we say he was joking, but the point is, the point is pretty good. He had a, you know, he was talking about a, a woman in his office in 2009 when things were so ugly during the financial crisis and he told her that the best thing he could do for her was to uh, put her on annual statements and cut her, cut her cable, uh, you know, so she couldn't watch TV. And, you know, I think she, she got the message, but it was, it was kind of a tough love. Like, like, no, the right answer is not selling your investments. The right answer is just ignoring this. And because she was going to be better off to just not, not feel the pain, not notice the pain and let things play out. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things, you know, one of the, the kind of the first step of emotions is to understand them and how they kind of control your thinking as well, you know. And so, you know, just understanding that if you're looking at these things and you're, you know, having this fear and panic around it, that understanding why, where it comes from will really help you in terms of structuring your portfolio to a place where you hopefully don't get to those emotional lows or highs for that matter. Right. And, um, you know, piles of piles of behavioral finance research on, on those kind of concepts, but it all boils down to the fact that, um, you know, our fear of loss outweighs our, um, what's the right word, our enjoyment of gains. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and, uh, that's, that's kind of at the heart of it. Nobody, when the market goes up, everybody's kind of blase about it, that that's, that's what it's supposed to do. Right. So, yeah. so, but then when, when things go sideways, I, I shouldn't say sideways, when things go down, that's, uh, you know, something's wrong that, that needs to be fixed. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, if you think about the the media and, you know, how they kind of entertain what's going on in the market, like when the market is down, like it is right now, it's all doom and gloom and it's going to just continue to go further down and everything's going to fall apart. Consequently, when the market's up, it's always like, well, it's way too high. It's probably going to go down. From, you know what I mean? Like there's no like celebrating, hey, we have good times right now and they're going to stick around for a while. It's always like, when's the next drop coming? And when the drop is there, it's like, okay, it's going to continue to get worse. And here's why. Well, and that's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of uh, different market stuff around that. You know, um, they say that the market can't really recover until the last of the week holders sells. Right. Right. Cause the news won't get better before that happens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. You know, and, and, it's tough as an advisor because I think it would often, like our clients might think, might prefer it if we did something, even if mm-hmm. that something is not necessarily the right thing to do. And, and so it's kind of like this, this temptation, right? I mean, we could, yeah. we, 
we could make our clients feel better about us that, hey, we're being proactive and doing these things. But then in the back of our minds, we're always going to be like, yeah, I'm, you know, what am I trading off here, you know, to make, to maybe raise my, raise my stock with the client, you know, in terms of means for their portfolio. Um, and you know, it's, uh, and, and there's lots of products out there that will limit your downside. But, you know, in addition to the strategies that we talked about with jumping in and out when different things happen, there's, there's plenty of investment type products out there that give you some of the market upside and limit the downside, but they all come at a cost. Right. And, um, and they're generally complicated and, and not well understood by the people that buy them. All they know is I won't get hurt as bad if the market goes down, but things go up when things are good. Mm-hmm. And what they understand is at the end of the day, they're going to make a little bit more than what they made in the bank or yeah. make the bank, but, and they're not going to see any fluctuations, but they're certainly not going to get 7% returns or 8% returns when, the, you know, consistently when the market's good. Yeah. Well, and and I don't have any research to back this up, but I'm sure it wouldn't be hard to find. I got to imagine sales of those products skyrocket when the market's bad and when the market's good, you probably don't, you know, you probably don't see a lot of, you know, sales growth in those, in those products for sure. Well, and and with, oddly enough, it should be the opposite, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, what you see when things are good is that when when the markets are good in general and it's harder to attract people to those programs, the gear, the, the amounts they guarantee are better. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, so not only, you know, do these kind of environments drive sales into those products. So you're taking a smaller amount out of your portfolio because it's down, you're putting it into a product that's safer, that doesn't have the upside and, and you're doing it at a time when the guarantees on those products, because they know people are going to buy them anyway are right. ratcheted down to, uh, to a lower level. So yeah. it's a lose, lose, lose. Um, from my point of view, if you're going to use those kind of products, you do it when your portfolio is high and you do it when their guarantees are better because they need to attract people. Yeah. You know? And so kind of to wrap that, that's actually a good segue to what, where I wanted to go to wrap this up. The time to make those kind of decisions is when the market's good. And, you know, more than once in the last month or so, I've, I've talked to clients where they were having trouble, you know, sitting tight and, and agreed to stay put. But the, the, the takeaway was when the markets recover, we're going to revisit this because that's the time to say, I don't want to go through that again. What can we do? You know, and you take money off the table, you, you use some safe investments or, you know, you, you rebalance things, but you don't do it now. Well, and another thing I'll say, we kind of touched on a little bit too, is, you know, when you're looking for a financial advisor, you probably want one that's going to tell you the right thing to do no matter what. So versus, hey, you know, you are struggling with market losses. And so they all of a sudden have this miracle product that's going to guarantee that you don't lose any more money and give you all this upside. That's, you know, that's a salesperson. That's not a advisor that has your best interests. And, and not to say that, you know, th- there are 
occasions where we get clients out and do those things, but it's always with the caveat of, we don't think this is the best thing for you, but we also know that you probably, you know, your sleep at night is more important than what your best financial outcome is. And so there's obviously a little bit of leeway, but that, I mean, financial planning and advising investment management is so much more important when the market's down 20% than when it's up 20%. I don't know that I've got anything else to add except to say, you know, if there was a strategy around market timing that we believed in, we would be doing. And it's yes, not- we would. I don't know we'd be telling anybody, Dave, but we would be doing it. <laughs> We'd probably quit our jobs and, and right, 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 <laughs> and just um, laugh our way to the to the bank, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, hang in there. This too shall pass. And uh, all this Indeed. stuff, we've got an article that kind of goes with this podcast. It's got some links to like the uh, Seeking Alpha studies that we referenced and some charts from Clearnomics. Yeah, so stay strong out there. As always, if you have questions, shoot us an uh, email at info at srbadvisors.com. Um, we'd love to engage you on market timing topics and strategies and kind of help you through uh, what's been a challenging time so far this year. Dave, as always, it's been a pleasure, my friend. Thanks, Nick. Talk to you later. Gather around and follow the Kitchen Table Finance Podcast to learn about money and simple ways you can invest right now. You can find more practical advice at srbadvisors.com and contact the team for personal planning by emailing info at srbadvisors.com.